You can't blame a system that doesn't take care of Black people because, in a sense, it wasn't created to take care of Black people. Welcome to the ACO Show. This week, we turn the mics over to two guest hosts, Essence Rebels, Allidade's training manager, and Patrick Colley, Allidade's electronic health record optimization coordinator. Join us for their conversation about recent events in the news from their perspective as Black professionals and the overall experience of Black Americans in the workforce and in the healthcare system. Welcome to the ACO Show. I am Essence Rebels. I am the training manager here at Allidade. Hello, my name is uh, Patrick Holly, and I am the Senior EHR Coordinator here at Allidade. Patrick, today we have the pleasure of allowing people across the country to tap into a deep conversation that you and I want to have. This conversation involves something to me that has always been evident in my life since I can remember anything as as a child and especially now as I am the mother of a black male who is four years old now and a healthcare professional even more so what are some things Patrick that come to mind as things are beginning to die down as the racial crisis that our country is facing is not maybe the primary focus, it may be becoming and moving into being an afterthought? Um, so as far as our current climate, we get to this time where everyone's, you know, feeling sorry about what's going on. But when you think later on, you know, months after the event has passed and things do die down, it's like, okay, did everybody get their their good chips in so that, you know, now that things have died down, they can get back to life as usual. And it kind of worries me because when that happens, we set ourselves up for this reoccurring trend again, right? Nothing really happens from it. One thing I can say is that many people got the time to really reflect we all get so comfortable in our daily lives. And, you know, I think that's the problem, right? Some of us have gotten our lives to a certain point where we don't want to step outside of our comfort zone. So issues like this pushes those conversations. And, you know, I love having those conversations because I always feel like it's so mutually beneficial. I think that when things die down like this, it doesn't scare me, but it also makes me think, have we forgotten? Absolutely. One thing that keeps coming up, you and I have done it in this conversation already, is there seems to be a reluctance to call this thing what it is, what's going on in our country or our situation right now. And I think we have to call it what it is, racism. Racism is something that you and I are not strangers to. And the difference now seems to be the ignorance and the insensitivity and the criminality of racism has been revealed. And I think that people are 
the sick of it. People now realize our pain that we have been screaming from the mountaintops for years and years. Let's talk about the professional part and being a black professional in this climate and in any climate. You and I have talked about before that as a black professional, you have to be multiple people. It's, it's a feeling of not being able to be your authentic self in the workplace. If you are your authentic self, then you will be judged as aggressive, a threat. Your opportunities will be withheld from you, whether this is conscious or subconscious. And that is an example of systemic racism. As far as being a black professional, I think that's, yeah, like you said, that's kind of a twofold thing. Um, perfect example, um, dreadlocks, right? I had long dreadlocks. And even though I felt like my merits or my diploma and things should back me up enough to the point where people would ignore my locks, I knew that just me being a black guy with locks kind of held things against me. And, you know, I wore my locks with pride, you know, and um, you know, and to me, it was just something that, you know, I liked, but to other people, it was in some sense, who is this thug? You want to be you, but being you is so frowned upon. You know, I think that's a perfect segue into how I grew up. I grew up in Prince George's County, which is a predominantly black county outside of uh, Washington, DC. Prince George's County is ranked one of the most affluent neighborhoods in the nation. As I was going through high school and being around uh, this, you know, community that was rich and people that looked like me, I knew that this wasn't the world. When I went to college, I said that I wanted to go to Florida. And when I went to Florida, I ended up going to uh, Florida State, which was a predominantly white school. Some of the things I saw, I hated. I was living in Tallahassee, Florida at the time. And, you know, I never experienced like living down South, right? You know, seeing a Confederate flag, that type of stuff, I wasn't used to seeing in Prince George's County. I knew that to be able to navigate as a black professional, I also had to get the skill of being able to be myself. Sometimes I do have to navigate differently. That's not a good feeling. You know, my friends, they'll be like, you can tell Patrick is talking to someone he works with. The voice changes and things like that. It's crazy, this big dynamic that you have to play sometimes just to be comfortable or to not be overlooked or to get some of the opportunities that should be given to you just off of your merits alone. Exactly. And it's a daily struggle to climb out of that dark place and not get stuck in it and try to stay positive. And I love that we have the opportunities to finally share some of these real experiences that we've always faced, but you don't want to be a victim of it. No, no, we're trying to be vulnerable and share with you what we've always gone through. You haven't seen that because of privilege. What I heard you describing earlier was you have to be five steps ahead to even be equal, and you're not even equal. The everyday struggle that we persevere through is something that is unfathomable to someone that has never 
face that struggle. If we transition this conversation into healthcare, my family and friends, though I didn't go to medical school, all you have to do in the, in the black community is desire to be a doctor. And once mm. you desire to be a doctor, now you're everybody's doctor. I'm what you were considered a medical whisperer in my community and in my family. So every time something happens with their health, they come to me. And I always mm. remind them, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Oh, yes, you are. You're my doctor. So in those times when serious things has happened and I'm sitting alongside of them in that exam room and the doctor's asking them question after question and my family member or friend as the patient doesn't know how to respond or feels intimidated to respond because they know that their answers are going to be prejudged. They're not going to be taken seriously. They're going to be told how they should feel. And being told how you should feel in a situation where you're supposed to be sharing how you feel both mentally and physically is another part of why there is such a disparity in the quality of healthcare that Black people get and white people get. That is what the data is not going to show you. Yes, the data will show you that Black patients have lower rates of annual wellness visits and preventative care, but it won't show you why that is. Like, what is behind the data that you're looking at? And that's that conversation in the room where you have a patient that is not comfortable enough to trust you with their life. Healthcare for Black Americans has never really been great as far as the history, right? Think of the Tuskegee trials. And I kind of look at it like this. You can't blame a system that doesn't take care of Black people because in a sense, it wasn't created to take care of Black people. Amen. And what I hear from what you were saying earlier is just, you really have to address the social determinants of health. There's so many things that are going on outside of that person just going to their doctor to get health care, right? You're dealing with living in poverty. You're dealing with barriers to transportation. You're dealing with housing insecurity. Even when you talk about Black Lives Matter, let's switch that to healthcare. We, as a company, target the most impactful people that we can help. You know, in a sense, it's like, for me to say, like, chronic comorbidities matter. And someone says, no, all healthcare matters. You want to help the people that need the help the most. Once you get them to a level platform, then we can start improving everyone and get everyone to where they need to be. But if you have laggards, if you have people who are disenfranchised and are just not being supported by the community, that has to change. It's crazy to me because I always say to myself, how can anybody that's in public health be racist? The only true way that we even the playing field is through accountability, period, on all levels, in your house, at your job, in your family, in your friend circle. To me, that has always been where you can start. If we transition this into the type of action that Allidade has taken during this racial crisis and to fight social injustice and promote racial and health equity, 
from Farzad throughout the entire Allendale leadership, everyone has been right by our sides, mm-hmm. right by our sides, trying and willing to listen. And if I go back to accountability, Farzad has made it extremely clear that if you don't align to our movement forward to support our black and brown colleagues in this fight for justice, then maybe this is not the place for you. That is the type of accountability that we need. He has made it not only a special project of our affinity resource groups, but he's made it a part of our everyday jobs now. And some of the more tangible things that I can think of on how I've been supported here at Allidade throughout this racial crisis has been, we've been offered mental health days up to two days. If you just need a mental break, you are given that time. Our human resources department has been phenomenally supportive throughout this whole thing. My manager here, if there is ever a moment where I felt like I just can't do it today, I just can't attend this meeting, complete this project, there are no questions asked because she knows and she trusts that I will get the work done, but she also is human enough to care about the person, not just the employee. And that's what I truly have always loved about this company. I totally agree. This is something that is super new to me. I've had great bosses. I've had bad bosses, but I've never had a great company, a company where everyone's thinking on the same wavelength. When I spoke about how can you be in public health or population health and be racist, to be honest with you, I really think that mind frame came from Farzad. I wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't for the ARG. The ARG also gave me a voice to be a leader. I really love that Allidate embraces the fact that these conversations aren't going to be as comfortable as we want them to be. I remember this being maybe two weeks after George Floyd's death and me feeling like it's yet another Black man dying at the hands of police and me actually sitting on the couch thinking about how this will impact the growing life of my four-year-old and feeling helpless for maybe a good 15 minutes because I'm a very vocal person and I'm always trying to spring into action, but feeling helpless for a moment in time and thinking, what can I do? What platform do I have to move this movement forward? I reached out to the co-leader of the Black and African Diaspora ARG or Affinity Resource Group, and we together formulated a message a message to Farzad and Allendale leadership and ask them for a message of solidarity to be sent out to the company as a form of support and protection to us. So that's when he invited us to the fireside chat during our uh, weekly all staff meeting and invited a few members of our affinity resource group to speak about our perspective and our pain. 
Farzad again made it clear that he and this company would no longer be bystanders in the sad game of American racism and that we will move forward and he would work with the Black and African diaspora ARG, or as we like to call ourselves, the bad ARG. He would work in partnership with us to figure out how to move this forward. He formulated four work streams. We got together literally the next day after that weekly meeting, and we began to throw out different ideas that we had, and we bucket them into four different work streams. The first one is eliminating health disparities. The second one is practice outreach. The third one is education, training, and policy. And the last stream is external communications. A part of our four-level work stream for a social injustice plan is that Allidade and our leadership has agreed to utilize our platform to tackle policies that may not be in our lane, but Farzad identified that if you don't tackle policy at the highest level, then no real change will be made. Now, we have committed ourselves to looking into healthcare data and figuring out how we can close the gap on health inequities, but we also are dedicated to using our voices to be heard in other areas like policing. I have one blind spot and the power of seeing someone that looks like you in a position of power. Right now, from our executive leadership team to our directors, we don't have many uh, leaders of color. And that is a blind spot that I will say we are trying to work on and change, but it still exists. I brought this up and someone said, I didn't really, like, you're absolutely right. We do not have many leaders of color here and we need to change that because there is power in seeing someone that looks like you in a level that you want to aspire to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Cause I was, I was actually going to say the same thing. I think one of the biggest blind spots is definitely going to be providing opportunities for black and brown people in some of these high C-suite positions. Last point I want to say about that is that research shows that companies with more diverse leaders, executives, board of directors are more successful. And when you have that diversity in the room, you always have the perspective from every different group, from your customer's perspective, from your team member's perspective, from your leader's perspective. And that would avoid us having to have conversations like this because you would already have that representation on a daily basis. We wouldn't have to have particular conversations with the few Black people at the company to understand their perspective because that perspective would be embedded from the top down. All right, you all, thanks again. 
uh, for joining us for another episode of the ACO show. I'm Patrick Holly, and thank you again, Essence. Thank you. The ACO Show is produced by Brittany Barnes, Hannah Posner, and our intern, Maddie Bennett. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.